0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your living word. We pray that whatever it takes, your Holy Spirit would continue to comfort and conform us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Open our ears to hear your voice, and cleanse our hearts to pray into your will. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. The author of this passage is teaching us that God's word is living and active, and if we submit to the Holy Spirit, his word is will speak to us. Listen now for God's word for you and for me. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help In time of need, the word of the Lord.
1: Today's gospel reading comes from the 10th chapter of Mark's gospel, verses 17 through 31. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me." When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, "'How hard will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God?' And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, "'Children, How hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The word of the Lord. What do the poor need? What do the poor need? This has long been one of the defining questions before us as a people, as a nation, as a society, and it's one that Congress is debating now as they consider the size and scope of the latest proposed stimulus package. What do the poor need to achieve the American dream and more importantly, self-sufficiency? Do they need more resources or less? Do they need more government assistance or is government assistance actually the problem? Do they need universal childcare or perhaps a higher minimum wage? Do they need better educated or be held more responsible for the choices they make each and every day? It's an age-old question. What do the poor need? And it's a question we have no problem discussing quite openly. Well, what about the rich? What do they need? What do we need to experience the kingdom of God? A man of great wealth comes to Jesus to get a spiritual audit of sorts. He wants Jesus to tell him if he's doing everything he needs to do to inherit eternal life to enter his kingdom. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds by reciting some of the commandments. The man says he has kept all of these since his youth. And upon hearing this, Jesus looks at the man, loves him, and then says this. You lack one thing. Go, sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor, and then come follow me. And we're told the man went away grieving because he had many possessions. What must we do to inherit eternal life? For some Christians, this is the question that matters more than any other question. Compassion for the poor, care for the environment, even physical or mental health are not as important as securing one's place in heaven. There are entire organizations with employees and websites and billboards devoted to training people, inspiring people to walk up to strangers to ask if they have secured their ticket to heaven. What must we do to inherit eternal life? It's a question as old as time, which is why the reluctance Jesus sows here, the reluctance he has to, to give this young man a straightforward answer is a bit confusing. Providing a clear answer to the question of how one gets into heaven and in the process avoids hell is why Jesus came, right? It's what he came to do. But no one is good, but God alone is his response to this question at first. And to be fair, this man isn't asking how to get into heaven when he dies. That wasn't a concern for the man or for Jesus. For Jesus, heaven was connected with what he called this age or the age to come. The kingdom of God, after all, was at hand. It was here, which meant this age, this era, this time was coming to an end, and a new one, a better one, was about to begin. And it is this new reality, this new age, this new kingdom that the rich man wants to be part of. Like every good Jew, he believes that history is heading somewhere. A new age is coming that would literally be like heaven here on earth. And this man wants in. He wants a part of it. And the standard Jewish answer of how one prepares, gets ready for this new age, would have been to follow the commandments, which is why this guy wants to make sure there isn't anything else Jesus thinks he needs to do to participate in the eternal kingdom that he hopes, he believes, Jesus is going to usher in. You lack one thing, Jesus says to the man. Go sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor, and then come follow me. Greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right, greed works, greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, for knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the U.S. of A. This quote from the fictional character Gordon Gecko from the movie Wall Street is unforgettable. And it's unforgettable in part because it speaks to a truth we all choose to believe. that the desire for more, for better, for best is not bad. It's what in the end will save us. If we look more closely at today's passage, we notice that the rich man is not the only one who's surprised by what Jesus has to say. All those with an earshot are perplexed by his words. Given that wealth was considered a sign of blessing in the first century, as it is frankly today, Jesus' words to this man, and later his statement about the difficulty that rich folks are going to have entering the kingdom, these words are alarming. Could it be true that those of us who strive for and achieve success and reap all its fruits might miss out on the life Jesus promised? Is wealth an obstacle to experiencing heavenly bliss? Could it be that the rich, like the poor, need help too? Well, if the poor need a path laid out before them, that takes them from self-dependency to self-sufficiency, then I would argue the wealthy need the exact opposite. It seems to me Jesus is saying that the wealthy need a path that takes us from self-sufficiency to greater dependency. We need to realize that we can't save ourselves, and there is such a thing as too much. I think one of the greatest pastoral care challenges for most mainline Christians, and as a side note, the Presbyterian Church USA is now the wealthiest congregation median income in our country. Presbyterians in our denomination have the highest average salary of any mainline church. I think the greatest pastoral care challenge for the majority of us is our affluence. For most of us, our wealth is our primary burden and our primary obstacle. It may not feel that way as we struggle to make our mortgage payments to get our kids or perhaps your grandkids to college or to save for retirement, but we are all wealthy beyond compare to world standards. And according to Jesus, it doesn't take a lot of money to ruin someone's life. We all have more than enough, and yet it never feels like we have enough. And in this paradox lies the seductive and destructive power of greed. A little more does make our life easier, but a little more is never enough. I believe that for all of us to experience the kingdom of heaven, we all need to get as comfortable talking about what the rich need as we do what the poor need. We need to get more comfortable talking about the dangers, the obstacles of having, of wanting too much. Will Willimon served as a bishop for a while in Alabama. One Sunday while visiting one of his newer congregations in one of the wealthiest counties in the state, a hip young pastor got up to speak. Hey everyone, he began, we've come to something we call the offering. The offering is when we give our money to support the ministry of the church. Now, if you're a visitor, we're just glad you're here. You don't have to put any money in the plate at all. Just sit back, relax. Now, should you decide one day to become affiliated with this church, then you can help support it with your money. For now, don't worry about it. Willemond shook his head in disbelief as the pastor spoke and it took all of his willpower not to stand up and shout, Why wait to start on their greed? Put your money in the plate, people. The offering is not a metaphor. It's not a symbol. It's the key to our salvation. I find this to be one of the hardest teachings of Jesus, this idea that it's hard for wealthy folks like you and me to experience the life God has in store for us. It's not impossible, but it's hard. It's hard, I think, for us to know the peace that passes understanding when we place our trust in the wrong things. And we put our trust in the income we generate through our jobs or our investments. We put our trust in the value of our homes, the quality of our life, and the resources we've managed to save. And I get it. But into this confusion, Jesus tells us, commands us, to give it all away. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, he drags the future into the present. The promises of God are not only available then, which they are, they are also available now. For the poor, this means believing that God is always with them, giving them what they need, no matter how bad their situation. And for those who have great wealth like us, it means believing that none of our stuff will give us peace until we give it away to those who need it more than we do and learn like them Radical trust in God and God alone. Julio Diaz was taking the subway from work to his home in the Bronx. As he did almost every day, he got off one stop early to grab a bite at his favorite local diner. As he made his way to the diner from a deserted subway station, a figure jumped out from the shadows. A teenager holding a knife. I just gave him my wallet. Julio later told a journalist. Theft accomplished. The kid was about to run off when Julio, Julio did something unexpected. Hey, wait a minute, he hollered. If you're going to be robbing people the rest of the night, you might as well take my coat to keep you warm. The boy stopped, turned around, and had a look of disbelief on his face. Uh, Mr., why are you doing this? Well... Julio responded. If you're willing to risk your freedom for a few bucks, then I guess you really must need the money. I mean, all I wanted to do was get dinner. If you want to join me, you're more than welcome to. Surprisingly, the kid agreed. And a few moments later, Julio and his assailant were seated at a booth in the diner. The waiters greeted them warmly. The manager stopped by for a chat. Even the dishwasher came out to say hello. You know everyone here, the kid asked. surprised. do you own this place? No, he said, I just eat here a lot. But you're nice to everyone, even the dishwasher. Well, yeah, haven't you been taught you should be nice to everybody? Yeah, said the kid. But I didn't think people actually behave that way. When Julio and his mugger finished eating, the bill arrived. But Julio no longer had his wallet. Look, he told the kid, I guess you're going to have to pay for this because you have my money. But if you give me my wallet back, I'll treat you to dinner. The kid did that. Gave him back his wallet. Julio paid the bill and then gave the kid a $20 bill on one condition. He had to hand over his knife. The poor need help, no doubt. It's a good debate happening right now but so do those of us who have more than what we need. For what God desires and Christ teaches is that all of us, rich and poor, that all of us be transformed in order to fully experience the kingdom of God, not apart, but together. Not only in heaven, but also here on earth. Amen.